Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of Real Talks. I'm your host, David Steele, along with my co-host, Iloa Orism. Just a friendly reminder, if you like what you hear, you can follow us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Just search Real Talks. That's R-E-E-L Talks. Also, you can follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at WannabeRounder and on Instagram at DCadudo. Where can they find you, Iloa? I'm on LinkedIn and also on Instagram. I'm the only one with that name over there, so it should be pretty easy to find me. E-L-O-A-O-R-A-Z-E-M. That's me. Excellent. Before we get started today, I have just a couple of quick announcements. We're In a few short weeks, we're going to be starting a Patreon channel. And in doing so, if you choose to support us, you'll have the opportunity of getting some great perks, such as earning a shout-out before every podcast, cool merch, and if you're one of the major contributors, you'll get a one-hour monthly Zoom meeting with Iloa and myself, which leads me into my next exciting announcement. Beginning in May, the channel is going to be starting something called Flashback Fridays, which means we're going to be talking about movies from the past. Our first film will be Iron Man, and we're going to do every single MCU movie in chronological order. I can't reiterate enough. Hit that follow button so you know when a new podcast is released. Okay, on to today's show. So our topic today is going to be favorite directors. We will each select two directors and discuss why we enjoy their films and what kind of impact they've had on Hollywood. So, Ilua, why don't you go first? Okay, so my first selection is a director that everyone knows, and I think... Hollywood wasn't really just to him, which is Alfred Hitchcock. So he's responsible to some classic movies. And he even have what we call today the, the Dolly Zoom, right? The, or some people say the Hitchcock Zoom. So he has some techniques that even got his name. And still, he never won an Oscar. He was nominated five times, right? Yes. But he never won a statue. So I'm choosing him because I think his movies are... Amazing, even though I know we can kind of question his ethics sometimes, especially towards women. And I'm not turning a blind side on that. But I do think that he did a great job in some movies. So it's still classics today. And, you know, you have to study him. If you study movies or cinema, it is impossible not to discuss him and his work, right? Are you a fan of him as well? What do you think? Oh, uh, Hitchcock is... So let me preface it by saying this. When we say favorite directors, it's like saying who's the greatest of all time, right? It's a generational thing. So you just picked Hitchcock. For his time, there was nobody better. Correct. So if you were to, let's say, say maybe in the 60s, it was John Huston or Roman Polanski, back in the day. Now, if you're going to say in the 80s, it was James Cameron. If you're going to say, you know, so the point is, it's all a generational thing. But getting back to your point, you look at the number of classic, unbelievably classic movies that he put together. The Birds, Rear Window, Vertigo. Correct. In a... And I'm not even talking about the biggest one of them all, which is Psycho. Thank you, yes. And so, quick story about that. My mother, she actually could not take a shower alone in the house because of that movie. And the thing is, we, you might not even seen the movie, but you know the scene. They, everyone knows what we're talking about, right? So this is how great he is. It's timeless. And like again, you have to study him to understand. He's so visceral, I think. And so brutal. Well, the thing about that in that particular scene is there was really no blood. And so actually, in in all honesty, there's actually a, a subsequent movie with Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren called Hitchcock. And this movie is all about the making of the movie Psycho. Yes. And how he had to go back countless times, by the way, and try to tweak it so it could actually get a rating that could be released. And it's 
That's actually, when I took a film class many years ago, that was actually one of the first films we watched was Psycho. And I would almost go to say as he was probably the best psychological thriller director I agree. we ever had. I agree with you. And the ending of Psycho, he wanted to make that a secret for for so long. He didn't even want to share that with the with the producing company. It's amazing. And that and that would have probably and now that I'm thinking about it, if we're talking about top five twists of all time, I mean, you have the usual suspects with Sizer Kose. You have Luke, I'm your father, and Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And I think Psycho has got to be right up there. Absolutely. As far as twists. Yeah, Hitchcock was just, he was a generational director. And as you said so eloquently a couple of minutes ago, he had a actual camera shot named after him. Right. And how he was, and by the way, we're not even talking about, he didn't have the technology back then. Correct. It was so creative, <laughs> right? Yeah. Just unbelievable. So, yes, Hitchcock is just, and, and anybody will say he's a top five, top seven director of all time. And it's crazy. He never won an Oscar still. He he was, I think, in 1975 or something around that time, he had a recognition for his work in life, but he wasn't really a... A lifetime, yeah. a lifetime achievement award. Exactly, exactly. And that brings us, in, that was a perfect segue, by the way. 1975 was a pivotal year as far as cinema and one of the greatest psychological thrillers we ever had put on film was Jaws and who directed Jaws just all you gotta say Steven Spielberg yeah Spielberg just what that man has done in 55 years I call him the goat he what he's done is and you can say, well, it's the technology. Yeah, that's part of it. But, and I said this in a previous podcast, you take a look at what his resume is. He has won every award you can have. I mean, just, he's won two Best Director Oscars. I'm sorry, he's got three Oscars to his credit. He was just nominated for West Side Story, which we'll get into in a minute. But he's done everything from war, pop culture, psychological thriller, children's movies, if you want to go down the road of E.T. Yes. And they're all so good. I mean, there's, it's, you, you can't, when you're talking about Steven Spielberg, you are talking about a man that started all the way back in this. I mean, he was part of that generational core of directors. It was Spielberg, it was Coppola, it was Scorsese, and it was Lucas. And he was one of those four. And so let me ask you this question. And this is going to be a really, really tough question. Do you have a, a favorite? I know we were talking about E.T. a couple of weeks ago. Do you have a favorite Steven Spielberg movie? So the thing is, because Spielberg is so versatile, it's hard to choose because you're choosing between different genres. But I think Jaws is a classic, right? It builds up the expectation yeah. and the song and all that. I think I think it also has like emotional attachment to that movie as well. I remember exactly the first time that I watched it and, you know, how much that comes into account whenever I was, you know, swimming in the ocean as a young kid. So I would say Jaws, but definitely yeah. E.T. was a very... It was a hit during my, my childhood as well. So, And believe it or not, that was, so Jaws was in 75. So he makes Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 76. What? I mean, usually, so I'm just going to read you a few of these unbelievable movies that we were just, so we have, this is, this is the directors. I mean, forget about the, just writing because we're executive producer. But you have Jaws in 75, Close Encounters, I'm sorry, I said 76, 77. You had Raiders of the Lost Ark in 81. E.T., mind you, he's directing these. E.T. in 82, 
You had Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in 84. The Color Purple, which actually Whoopi Goldberg won an Academy Award for herself in 85. Empire of the Sun, which is when people talk about Spielberg, they forget about that. That's Last Crusade comes out in 89. He's directing all of these. Let's let's be clear. Okay. 91 was Hook with the incomparable Robin Williams. 93 changed the game with CGI in Jurassic Park. The same year he comes out with Schindler's List. Oh my God. Really? That's my mom's favorite right there. Talk about a juxtaposition of films. And actually, that film, not only did it win Best Picture, not only did he win Best Director, but you turn around and what ends up happening is he then, he, he was in that genre of actually making war films. Because one of the next films he did was Saving Private Ryan a couple years later. And then, so he was in that world war. Because if, so really cool if you guys ever get a chance to watch it, sit down. It's only about 90 minutes. Sit down and watch Spielberg. Can I, can I throw in some polemic for us to discuss? Sure. Spielberg is amazing. But I did do think that after Jaws, which was very bold for some reasons, I think he became, he he went the safe route. Let's put it this way. This way. I feel like he learned how to bake a cake. So he kept doing it, which is still a delicious cake. And I'm going to eat it probably all the time. But I don't know if he was as inventive anymore. What do you think? No. No. I mean, he, you can't say that. I think the thing about Spielberg, though, is he's able to, the word, I guess, is versatile. You're able to go from Jaws, which anybody who knows half of the stories, the shark always kept breaking. There was like seven sharks. So the, then you go to an action adventure in, in Indiana Jones. I, I think for more, for anything else, though, it's more pop culture. I mean... Absolutely. Look at look at what he's done for pop culture as well. I mean, and the one consistency, the one person that has always been by his side is John Williams. John Williams did Jaws. John Williams did Indiana Jones. John Williams did E.T. He's done all of these other films. So he's always had John Williams. Right to be there to score these things. And I mean, that's why he's got three Oscars himself. But the reason why I think he's the code, it's not because of the Oscars, but because of what he's been able to, he's, as I said, it's a war movie. It's a pop culture movie from, let's say, Ready Player One. It's a psychological thriller like a Jaws. It's a children's movie like a Hook. We can then go to... Jurassic Park, Lincoln. My goodness, people forget Lincoln was an amazing. He's up for best director. Yeah. Amazing, and that won Daniel Day Lewis's third Oscar. No, he knows. How, I that's, mean, a, that's what I said. He knows how to bake a cake, and I'm probably gonna eat it every time. So yeah, I mean, and when you hear the name Spielberg, there's maybe, and I say maybe, maybe a couple movies that just didn't perform for him. Like War Horse, for example. Spielberg did it. It was okay. But it, when they think of Steven Spielberg, they're not thinking about War Horse. They're thinking about Indiana Jones, or they're thinking about Jaws, or they're thinking about Close Encounters. And then, so, getting back to what I was saying, he's, I want to say 70, he's close to 75. He's born in 46. And he's still being nominated for Best Director for a musical that actually was made 60 years ago. And and Ariana DeBose wins Best Supporting Actress. Unbelievable. And he is one of those once-in-a-generational, like a Hitchcock, and how many films has he done and... The question is, 
how long can he keep this pace up? I mean, you see guys like Clint Eastwood, you know, he's he's close to 81, 82, and he's slowed down. And, you know, I mean, I, I hope he keeps turning them out. I'll sit is, you know, the analogy with the cake is fantastic because I'll eat that cake every single day. It's just, it's a marvelous, it's a marvelous cake, regardless what flavor Yeah, exactly. You know it's going to be good. It's one of those, you know it's going to be good. Exactly. So, and you know, by the way, that was pretty obvious one. <laughs> so, let, let's let's go back to you. What's What was your second choice for best director? So, I wanted to get something very different, too. Like, there's so many good ones, right? We could say, we talk about Quentin Tarantino, which we've done in a you know, few podcasts ago. Yep. But I really want to take the time to recognize Wes Wenderson's talent. His aesthetic, come on, is, is so on point. We even have the, some Instagrams on his honor to that, you know. And I feel like some of the stories that he tells, such as, you know, the, the Great Hotel Budapest, is, is such a light, fun movie with very interesting scenes and cuts. So Wes Anderson, for me, is up there, and I think he should get the recognition that he deserves. He was also nominated a few times. I think he's going to win an Oscar at some point. Oh, yeah. I, I, I would tend to agree with you. I think the fact is that he, I won't say indie movies, but his movies are not, I don't want to say they're not mainstream, but he has a, a niche. And Anderson loves those, he loves making those kind of movies. And he's really, really good at it. I mean, I'm not just, he's really good at it. But, you know, there's always for, I think he'll always be in the conversation as one of the best. But, and look, you, for the record, you don't need, and, I, and I've said this before, we tend to quantify everything by awards and numbers. And you don't need to, in box office, I mean, you don't need an Oscar to say you're one of the greatest Absolutely, directors. Absolutely, I, I agree. Yeah. I'm not saying that. But, and one thing that, you know, if he is, if he feels good directing those kind of movies and he can be profitable and studios can see that, there's nothing wrong with that. We need that. I mean, so I, I would say absolutely. You know, Wes, Wes Anderson is just, he's a, he's a terrific director. He is, yeah. So he really knows, and when you've been around the block. And he's also very versatile too, right? Don't you think he's very versatile? Because he, he uses Muppet sometimes and animation and then other times and then, you know, surrealism. Oh, yeah. So I feel like he's also pretty versatile as well. And I'm not even saying that I love all the stories, but I respect him as a director a lot. I think he's very creative and he's very edgy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's worked and it's good. It goes back to what I was saying earlier. When you have an actor, I mean, you know, just use Spielberg and, and uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, for example, or you take any actor and director the fact is, when they work with them, they know what they want. So they're able to actually perform better. I mean, you could have a lousy script and have the same director and the same actor, and they'll make it academy-level acting because they know how to play off of each other. The reason I bring that up is because Bill Murray has been in a lot of his films. And, and they are so close, and, and Bill Murray supports Anderson so much that for one of the movies they did together, actually, Bill Murray reimbursed Wenderson for the use of a helicopter. So he sent him like a $25,000 check to because he wanted that to happen as well. So it's pretty cool to see that symbiosis, right? When director and actor are so linked, so sync, so in sync that is, you know, you cannot go wrong. So, yeah, it's, it's a very, oh, yeah. it says a lot about who he is, I think. Absolutely. I mean, he was just in that, that new film, The French Dispatch. And, not, you know, so, I mean, once again, he's working together and just, it, it was a little movie that nobody really saw, but it was a good movie. So, yeah, Wes Anderson's a, a good, he's a very good choice. And actually, because he's, just, just as a curiosity, too, 
you mentioned Martin, uh, Martin Scorsese as one of the directors of an era. And he was named as the next Martin Scorsese by Martin Scorsese himself. So I think we'll be hearing a lot more about Wes Anderson. Absolutely. I, I, I tend to agree with you. Isle of Dogs. You know, he wrote Isle of Dogs. That's just one of those great animated movies that didn't really get a lot of buzz. Just I think I think movie. the timing was wrong for that. But yeah. we'll see if, if history will so. make justice to that one. Okay, speaking of Scorsese, you just walked right into my head. Really? <laughs> so <laughs> obvious, huh? Martin Scorsese has got to be, when we talk about generational directors, has to be top five in the last four years. And that's just the, the combination of Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese is like peanut butter and jelly or Oreo cookies and milk. They go so well together. And it's one of those things where, I mean, you go all the way back to the 1975, or I believe it was 75, Mean Streets. And let me see if I get this right. It was, I want to say it was 75. It was either 75 or 77. But he just, that was really his, his really coming, that was his coming out party. And he has just taken off ever since then. And he, there's nothing. Let me connect him to then your first director. Did you know that Martini Scorsese turned down Spielberg's offer to direct the Schindler's List? Really? Because he believed the Jew should direct it. Wow. So, there you go. Yeah, I just learned something today. 1973 was Mean Streets. But, you know, it's how I, iconic. That's the only word I, you know, Mean Streets in 73. Taxi Driver in 76, which, by the way, Jodie Foster is, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe she's still the youngest Academy Award-winning actress of all time. And she won one for Mean Streets. You know, and it just goes on. Raging Bull in, in 1980. Great. I mean, another De Niro Scorsese film. And it's just a little film that people don't know he directed, but it was Unbelievable. Paul Newman, Tom Cruise, Color of Money. I love that movie. I mean, that just the old, the old guy trying to teach the new guy, and just Scorsese directed that. Goodfellas in 1990. Really? And it just goes Cape Fear in 91, working with De Niro. By the way, Cape Fear is, uh, was supposed to be Spielberg's, and so Spielberg turned it down and referred Scorsese. <laughs> well, that, but but that just shows you, you know. On but to your point, though, that just shows you of two guys that actually in the same generation. I'll give you another example: George Lucas when he did Star Wars, he had Francis Ford Coppola, he had Steven Spielberg, and he had Martin Scorsese sit down and watch Star Wars, and went through the whole film. And he's, after the film was done, he, Kurt, you know, they turned the lights on and he says, George, what was it about? What? What was it about? Actually, it was one of, I think it was Scorsese or a bunch of them. They said, look, you need to put an introduction in there. So as a result, every single Star Wars movie today has a nice little crawl, whether it's Star Wars Episode Six. Phantom Menace episode one, we know what we're getting into. And the story is now laid out for us. So when the action starts, and subsequently, but to your point, and it's just those four men completely changed how filmmaking was made. I mean, two weeks ago, we just did The Godfather. Francis Ford Coppola. So, but Casino in 95, Sharon Stone wins a Golden Globe for. I mean, I, I'm going on. Uh, Gangs in New York. On and on. The Aviator. He didn't win his first, an Oscar until 2006 for The Departed. 
this is unbelievable. And this is one of the best directors in Hollywood yeah. for decades. And then, you know, Shutter Island, okay. I mean, he, Leonardo DiCaprio, believe it or not, actually started to become the new Robert De Niro. And now The Aviator was one of the first films and he worked on Shutter Island. And then, you know, it goes on. Wolf of, I mean, <laughs> truth be told, I had never seen The Wolf of Wall Street until somebody recommended it to me. And I went, okay, sure. And I sat down and I watched I went, oh my God. <laughs> Unbelievable. That, that's a movie that's that's a lost gem of his. Really? Oh, I mean, and I'm just going on and on and on and on. And, and so, but what he, so let me ask you a question. So I, I just gave all these accolades about Scorsese. He did come out and he did have those, we'll call them rough comments. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked him about a Marvel picture or picture Marvel in general. And he gave a pretty rough around the edges. Like, this is just cookie cutter stuff. Do you think he was in, I I mean, obviously, film is subjective. I mean, this guy has got a couple Academy Awards. So do you think he had the right idea? or, or? I don't think Marvel is for his generation and style. I think he was actually honest. It's just that sometimes people in that position have to be more careful when delivering honesty. You know, like I once interviewed yeah. a very famous actor in Argentina, which is actually one of my favorite actors. And anyway, some of his movies, they, he always get great critics, but, you know, there was this one movie that wasn't really great. And he told me something that I never forgot. He said, well, this this critic once wrote, like, it's such a bad movie that it shouldn't have been done at all. And he was very offended, not because he didn't like the movie, but because he's like, you cannot just say that, you know, you might say it's not for me. It's not my style. It's not what I like because of those reasons. But to say something shouldn't have been done. You're not talking about an actor and a director. You're talking about a crew of hundreds of people. You know that, you know, how long, how long, how much, how many people, how how much money it takes to create thousands of people. Yeah. So that's the around the globe exactly so i do think he was being honest and i do think it's his opinion about it and it's okay i think marvel movies are not for everyone i know you're a huge marvel guy and you love the universe and you understand it better than anyone i personally know i don't know half of what you do so i do think people should be careful depending on the position especially when you're we, in, in Portuguese, we call them opinion formers. So someone that can shape someone else's opinion about stuff. So you have to be very, very careful when delivering such a hard message. You know, and we have to also remember that Martin Scorsese is also a guy who really bashed about streaming services, right? He said there was kind of, what was the word? I had it right here. So he said it, uh, it's devaluing films by reducing them to content. Which is a, it's a very valid critic and we do have to think about it. I'm on board with that, right? But we just, yeah, I, yeah, I I would, I would agree, I would agree with you on that. I mean, you know, and truth be, if, if net, I will say one thing though, and any, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would agree with me on this. Netflix has a tendency of, because there are thousands of television shows and movies and documentaries and things on there for kids. Okay. They do not, their own original movies, they might get one out of 10 great movies, original movies. They don't know how to market to save their lives. Now, that being said, you look at the number of fantastic shows they have on there. The Queen's Gambit. Just, I mean, all of these films. Stranger Things. I mean, the, the Irishman. All these movies, sometimes you get a diamond in the rough. But the biggest thing about Netflix is they don't know how to market to save their lives, as I said. I don't know. So, getting back, I, well, to a certain extent. You say, what that being say said. Life? Maybe I'm not understanding the message. Okay, so Netflix has so much content. Yeah. They bury their original movies. You don't know they're coming out. 
unless they will go ahead and pay $150 million to have, let's say, a movie like The Irishman, where you have three actors of a generation, Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Martin Scorsese directing, and they go, and this movie had was on the shelf for a long time, and go, oh, okay. And then it finally gets made, and it's a really, really, really good movie. But they don't know how to market. I think it's actually part of their and, strategy. I think they really know how to market. You know, if they're doing good, mo- a good jobs with series that much, I think they do know how to market. But maybe they are understanding better than you and I the logic mm. of their own clients. So maybe for their audience, TV shows work better than movies. Yeah. I mean, I would say this, that they, if they market or when they market their, their product, there's nobody better than them. No, I mean, they are the front runner all day long. Because let's face it, Netflix was around long before Disney Plus, long before Hulu, Absolutely. long before Paramount. So they are leaps and bounds from everybody else. Everybody's trying to catch Netflix. And that's why you see a lot of these major studios. I mean, and they... They're putting these Apple TV Plus, for example. I mean, we just talked about Coda last Mm -hmm. week. The fact is that they're trying to get these first-rate feature films that you can only get there. I mean, now, so, and it really depends. And I think a lot of it has to do with availability, right? I mean, the fact is that if I can sit down on my... comfort of my house and watch this on an Apple TV or whatever it is, a Hulu, I'll do it rather than going to a theater. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those, it's a give and take type of thing. I think that they, they being Netflix, they know what they're doing. Absolutely. That's what I said. They really know what they're doing. So I don't think they're, you know, they, they know what they're doing. Streaming serve, but I will say one thing. Streaming services are the way of the future. Absolutely. And there's there's no other, there's no doubt about that. No doubt. Streaming services are the way of the future. And so, you know, how, I mean, and this is what I was asking our guests the other day about is, so, by the way, if I just put this up the other day, if you haven't listened to it, please Go listen to our conversation with George Pinocchio. He discussed all about this. But I had asked him, I said, how have streaming services changed cinema? Because they have. They, they clearly, if he was, as he made a point about cutting the cord. If I can cut the cord for fourteen ninety nine a month and down the street I have a cinema and it's $15 just to see a movie, but I can see hundreds of shows and TVs and doc, why am I going to go down to the theater? I believe it's going to be a different make experience, sense. right? I think people are still going to go to the movies, but it's just going to be a different experience. I think you commit more when you go to the movie. At least when you're home, you might stop to get up and, you know, make some more. I can hit the pause button in, in that. And the, other th- and the other thing, too, is that AMC just, they started charging more for first-rate movies. And this, I will... I mean, this is a whole other conversation for another time, but trying to make their money back by charging more money for, let's say, the Batman or a Doctor Strange or a Spider-Man. Really? I don't understand. And look, anybody who knows business knows that a movie theater has a very, very slim margin. So that's why you're paying $6.29 when you go for a popcorn because that's where they make their money but of course they have to keep the pay to keep the lights on they have to buy the food they have to pay the employee so they're only made on that six dollar and 29 box of pop or thing of popcorn they may only make two dollars so when they are going to a movie and the admission 
is $17, well, now it's, you know, a lot of it, not to get too technical, but a lot of it has to do with the business side of it. So, I mean, I always go back to the, the Force Awakens back in 2015. Disney wanted 64% of every single ticket. So if you had a $15 ticket, they took 64% of that. So I don't know what the math is off the top of my head. So you're left with, let's say, 4 or $5. Now, out of that 4 or $5, you then have to turn around and keep the lights on, buy the food, pay the employee. So it's very difficult. Now, that fast-forwarding, if AMC is going to continue this model, I think a lot of people, even with the AMC pass, because a lot of people, they don't like getting these passes because it's like it's like a gym membership. How 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 many times would you say you go to the gym a week? Me, seven days a week. Yeah. Okay, so you're one of the few. You're the exception to the rule. I am. But your average person. I don't mind paying a lot of money. Is the <laughs> one thing that I use the most. Okay, so the average person like myself, who doesn't go to the gym but pays twenty dollars a month. That's what gold is banking on. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. I have so many friends that do this. So, so I understand. I can relate. But yeah. yeah. I'm just not a good example so. for that because I'm actually not. Yeah. <laughs> but, that, but that being said, you understand the whole premise. So, yeah. And this is where the whole business side gets into it. And so, anyways, moving back to the main topic. So, yeah, Scorsese is just... Unbelievable. There are not enough superlatives to actually say how much importance he has had, not only for the world of Hollywood, but the actors he has worked with. To the movies he's put out, to the awards he has won. And once again, we don't like to quantify people from awards, but, you know, yeah. So Scorsese is my... My second choice. And so. I know, but we do have to say that this, uh, we didn't choose women because there just weren't many women directing movies. But I do have to give a special mention. I think Greta Gerwig is doing an amazing job. I, yeah, amazing. She is, like, we definitely have to pay close attention to her. She's an actress. She's super young. Yes. Still, she's, what, 37, 8, something like this? Maybe younger? Yeah. I mean, she just got nominated for Lady Bird a couple Correct. years ago. Yeah, and she's, she's 38. Yeah, she's 38, yeah. born here in California. She only directed, what, four movies, I believe, four or five. Mm-hmm. And, she, you know, she was already nominated, and her style is great. Her stories are amazing. Lady Bird, like you said, is a great example. So mm-hmm. going forward, we're going to have an era of female directors. And she was, I guess, the fifth female director to be nominated. It's great to point that out. So we're talking about a 38-year-old girl who directed very few movies, and she was already nominated for an Oscar. She was the fifth female director to be nominated. So a lot of things, ideas here. Number one, Hollywood has a serious problem. And amongst other diversity and everything else, that's a whole other show for another time. Their number one problem is they do not have enough female directors. Uh, last time I want to say I saw a statistic, it was 3.5% of all of the directors and the DGA and everything, they were women. Major problem. Unless, and here's a big caveat, unless you have somebody like a Patty Jenkins who put herself on the map with a DC movie like a Wonder Woman that made over a billion dollars, now she's on everybody's radar. Yep. She's one of the best directors that is a woman. Yeah. In the business, hands down. I, I don't, you know. And so I think that she, anything she touches, even even Wonder Woman 84, even though that wasn't the best movie, it was still a good, it was a good movie. The fact is that she is probably the premier as far as women directors now, let's not forget about Jane Campion. Of course, she just won Best Director last week for The Power of the Dog. Female director. Yep. Sofia Coppola, too, right? And she, she actually, Sofia Coppola, sorry to, to cut into you. I think 
She deserves attention not only because of her movies are amazing as well, but also because she was able to walk out of the shadow of Francis. Of her father. Correct. Because it's so easy to say, she's just doing this because of her father. And I do believe having Francis Ford Coppola as your dad is really helpful in the industry. But dude, we cannot deny her talent. We cannot deny it. You know? Even the even the Godfather three, the the whatever you think of the movie, she was pretty good in Correct. it. Correct. I mean, so she has acting chops too. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's forgotten. So I mean, has she gone on to do these multi million dollar feature films and she's no. But she she doesn't need to. Because she has the pedigree. Correct. She has the pedigree of one of the best directors of the last 50 years, once again, going back to the big four, of Scorsese, Spielberg, Lucas, and... And actually, I think... You know, Francis Rocola. Not only her dad, but she was surrounded. She Wasn't she married to Spike Jones or something? Yeah, something like that, yeah. So I think she was surrounded by great men as well. So, But I think she was able to keep her own style. Lost in Translation is amazing. You know, she The Virgin Suicidal, I think that's the title in English... A classic to an indie classic. So kudos to her that was able to create a name for herself. And she's not really associated. We don't say, oh, Francis Coppola daughter. We actually say Sofia Coppola. So she created a name for herself. And yeah, so I think we're going to see many female directors getting more attention. And I cannot wait for that. I think that, so getting back to Greta I would say this. Jackie wasn't a big success. But here's what I'll say. Because women don't get the opportunity, because they're not given the chance, they have a smaller sample size. Correct. When you have a smaller sample size, you, your, ch your chances of actually succeeding go down dramatically. Absolutely. So, therefore, when you've only done four films... You're still, you've still got the training wheels on. And you're still learning a lot of things. And don't get me wrong. She has four more feature films that I've directed. But I'll say this. If she had the chance to do it on a regular basis, then she'd be right up there with a John, with a Jane Camp and whatever else. You know, and I just think that that's, that is the, one of the, if not the biggest flaws in, because, you know, guys can do it better. No, they can't. As proven last Sunday. I mean, that movie was nominated for 13 Oscars. Yeah, it only won a couple, but it won a major one in Best Director. And I think that if nothing else, if that says nothing else, the director is like a quarterback. The quarterback is the leader of the team. When the movie fails... The director gets the, the harsh portion of it. And that's where I think that women have to be given more opportunity. It's just, they have to. And this is why, you know, as I was just saying a minute ago, sample size. You, you cannot discount the fact that she's only done four movies. Absolutely, only four movies. And I cannot wait for... Everything else that's coming her way, I think she created a name for herself. I think people recognize her talent, and she's very respected now in the industry. So I think Hollywood's going to change dramatically with all these badass women stepping up. As a writer, of course, yeah. we have, for instance, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is amazing, right? Fleabag, Killing Eve, genius. Some of my favorite shows, she's the writer, and then I feel like... Having those female writers, female directors, this is going to change a lot of stuff. Maybe Hollywood's never going to be the same again, and that's actually great. Yeah, and, and I will say one last. I mean, Chloe Zhao, I mean, we were just, yeah. she just won. This, this is now back-to-back -back years. Female directors won Best Picture, or Best Director. So let's, let's not discuss that. Catherine Bigelow, another great, I will say one thing, though, and that's this. Unless they get recognition from the Academy, 
it's one thing to get nominated because, hey, look, it's a boys club. We've got to include her, whatever. It's another thing to win. When you say I'm better than you and I can prove it because I have this little golden statue here, your, your name just – and this is – going back to Chloe Zhao, this is exactly why – and I'm dying to see what she does next because I wouldn't be – this is exactly why Kevin Feige, going back to Marvel, it all ties into Marvel some way, somehow. But seriously, this is exactly why Kevin Feige picked Chloe Zhao to direct Eternals. Because people said, who? Huh? Oh, yeah. Because she just won Best Director. Now she was tapped for a Marvel movie. Now her career's just taken off. I'll be curious. And I wouldn't be shocked. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think you will see Jane Campion direct a Marvel movie in the next five years. I wouldn't doubt it, for sure. Because even though Eternals busted, it was a different movie. It was a different movie. People didn't really know the story or whatever else. If she's given an IP that everybody knows, and it doesn't have to be like a Captain Marvel or there are plenty of female superheroes out there that are fantastic. I wouldn't be shocked if she's given an IP in the next five years. And Kevin Feige says, because that he'll have learned not of his lesson, but he knows. Okay, Eternals is so second level. And what I mean by second level is so deep, so rich in story. Let's back it off just a little bit. We're going to give her a good story, good character, and we're going to let her go to town. And we're going to let her do her thing. And then, then you're going to see something special. So I think, yeah, I mean, she has a lot to do. I'm really curious, and I know I just said it, but I'm really curious to see what she does next. Because now, all eyes are, are on her. I mean, let, let's face it. If Spielberg had won, everybody would have just said, okay, it's his third, it's his song, Swang, whatever. If Del Toro had won, well, he had won a couple years ago for The Shape of Water, so that's not a big deal. But with her winning... Especially since Chloe's out one last year, I think you're right. The tide's starting to turn. Women directors are going to start to be getting better and better and better projects. And with those better projects come better and better actors. And then when these actors start winning the awards, guess what? They get the recognition. Not only does the actor get the recognition, but the director gets the recognition. And guess what? Their pay starts to go up. Because that's a whole other podcast for another time about the pay disparaging between men, directors, and women directors. And their pay is going to start to go up too. But I think it's, unfortunately, it's baby steps. And where we where we go? It will be fascinating to see next year does another woman get to nominated for Best Director? Because if that... So I've always said this. Once is okay, fine. Twice is a coincidence. Three times is a pattern. Mark my words, if you see a, a female director actually get nominated and win Best Director next year, the whole thing gets blown up. The game's changed. Doesn't matter who wins. Could be Patty Jenkins, Chloe Zhao again, Catherine Bigelow, doesn't matter. The whole thing changes because now it's it's kind of like getting back to it's kind of like what our guest George Pinocchio said about Coda and how Troy Kotzer they now we've arrived now we've arrived women director saying we've arrived so it will be very very interesting to see what kind of projects they have so okay so, let me ask you, did you have any, did you see anything? I rewatched something. I rewatched Inception. Okay. One of Christopher Nolan's classics. Classic. And it was important to do so because the first time I watched it, it was very sad. I watched it on a plane. Very little screen, horrible sound. So, 
you know, but now I did the proper way with a huge screen, you know, fully focused. It was amazing. So if you're like me and you did something as stupid, just go watch it again. It's a great movie. And I kept, I keep forgetting how amazing it is. Such a good writing as well. Yeah, that's, that's one of, you know, maybe we do male, I mean, maybe we do, I mean, we're talking about directors, but Christopher Nolan, that's one of his, one that's under the radar. I mean, let's face it. We're on the whole superhero thing and everybody talks about the Dark Knight and don't get me wrong, Dark Knight is just, you know, amazing. Dark Knight Rises, you know, like I, we did for the Happy Birthday Movies podcast. By the way, if you are listening to this and you actually want to go back and listen, go back and listen to Happy Birthday Movies. And you'll be able to hear which movies we chose that turned 10, 20, 30, and 40 years old this year. But The Dark Knight Rises was just... That movie, I first saw it, and then I've gone back and I've watched it again, and I've watched it again. The physicality of Tom Hardy, the story, the practicality, being able to fly those that plane through the, those buildings and, you know, the tumbler and everything, just unbelievable. Nolan, he has a new one coming out. I don't know one of them is off the top of my head. It's called Oppenheimer. It's all about the, the man who created the nuclear bomb. That's going to be a fun movie. And they actually, he just penned, he just, he just got one of the guys from uh, Batman Begins. His name escapes me off the top of my head. But Christopher Nolan is, and actually, and I know we got to go, but he was actually pushing for a, Speaking of pushing for 90-day releases, he was actually pushing for a 90-day release for that film. So, we'll see. I mean, that's a ways out. So, But, in any event. So, next week, we're still trying to figure things out. Oh, well, I shouldn't say that. Next week, what we're going to do is I'm going to sit down and we're going to rewatch or for me, watch the two Dumbledore movies, the two Crimes of Grindelwald. I'm totally butchering the names. It's the Harry Potter movies that the new one's supposed to be coming out in a couple of weeks. So I'm going to sit down and watch those, and we'll talk about those. And then, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about those. We, But in all seriousness, we have some very, very exciting things on the horizon. And... It's going to be, this summer is going to be a good summer, believe it or not. All right, so on that note, I'm David Steele. I'm Eloel Arazin. And you have been listening to Real Talks. Bye-bye.